Good evening and welcome to Thursday Night Tailgate, where NFL legends live. Join us tonight as we get more legendary stories from former players and coaches who were in the huddles, on the sidelines, and in the locker room. Plus insights from media members from around the country who have covered the game for decades. Check out our five-star picks of the week with former Patriots Pro Bowl running back Tony Collins. Plus, our spotlight on the positive segment. And here's some good things for a change about what players and teams are doing in their communities. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari. Go get them, guys. Well, we know who the Super Bowl teams are now, and it should really come as no surprise that Tom Brady will be making his 10th Super Bowl appearance since his rookie season in 2000. Tom Brady and Super Bowl? I think they're official synonyms now in the dictionary and thesauruses, for those of you who remember what those two things are. And let's remember, Brady took over a Bucks team that finished 5-11 and in 2017-18 and and 7-9 and last season. So take the same team, insert Brady and Gronk, and the Bucks are in the Super Bowl. Maybe the NFL should make those two guys go play in Cleveland, Buffalo, Jacksonville. You know, let everyone get a Super Bowl before those two finally decide to retire. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Thursday Night Tailgate, where your favorite NFL legends live. Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari here with you. Tonight, our guests have played in a combined 10 Super Bowls. So we're going to get a lot of those stories, plus their insight into next week's game as well. Bob, how are you, my friend? Doing okay, Chris. Uh, Great to see you speak with you and uh, hope things are okay down there. Yeah, things are good here, but like we were talking uh, quickly before we got on air, goodness gracious, you guys got to stay warm up there. Yeah, we're expecting, let's hopefully this will be the coldest stretch of the winter. Um, Even having been in New England for years, I don't think it could get much colder than what's coming tonight into tomorrow. We're talking upwards of negative 20 wind chill. Uh, all the warnings are in place uh, to stay in and things like that, Chris. It's it's really bad after a uh, significant snowfall this week. Uh, now this deep freeze for at least two or three days. And, uh, hey, we're just taking it a couple days at a time here. But I uh, appreciate the, uh, the concern. Absolutely. Bob, I want to start by getting your reaction to a Chiefs-Bucks Super Bowl. Is this a big stage passing of the torch from the GOAT to the guy who appears to be the heir apparent? Or since Brady said he wants to play until he's 50, are we going to see these two guys go at it for years to come? That's a great point, Chris. You know, if Brady, uh, well, uh, we always say if he comes back, I mean, there is no uh, writing on the wall for him not returning. So, you're, you got a good point there. You know, the young guy against the, the go and, uh, you know, which way can it go? I mean, there's going to be so much. You try not to listen to too much of the hype, but it is fascinating in its own way, uh, how, um, how Brady is there again with a new team. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that, but yeah, fascinating matchup. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Brady shows no signs of slowing down. Obviously, that offense can score a lot of points. Defense has played really well. What can you say about Mahomes and the weapons that he has? No one's been able to stop Kelsey. No one's been able to stop Tyree Kill. And that defense seems to be hitting its stride. 
I agree. I think this is going to be a fun one to watch. Yeah, it's always uh, one of those matchups, Chris. You already mentioned some of the marquee names, and it's always somebody that we don't mention or, or something like that who's a factor. So, you know, as I said last week, I, I thought Kelsey, there, there was no one that could cover him, and nobody did. And I don't think there's anyone in the NFL that can cover him right now. But uh, there'll probably be somebody on either squad uh, that will come through and you're like, wow, we didn't expect this from happening. And you know how unpredictable the NFL is these last couple years. Um, you know, it might seem cliche-like, but anything can happen. Indeed, and we will certainly talk a lot about that as we go throughout the course of the show tonight. And speaking of the show, our first guest tonight is going to be former Bills, Panthers, and Packers wide receiver and current head coach at Aurora University, and that's Don Beebe. Bob, really looking forward to hearing more of Don's experiences from the Super Bowls he played in with the Bills and the Packers, plus his Aurora University team. They're going to be playing their first games this spring. They postponed the season from fall to spring, so an abbreviated schedule, so we'll talk about that. So uh, a lot to get into with Don uh, when we get the opportunity to speak with him here in a few minutes. Yeah, he's a he's a fun guy to talk to, Chris. You know, the the typical undersized receiver, like his son, uh, very similar, and uh, had a you know impressive career. And uh, you wonder, um, you know, if his son had the same incentive. You know, the undersized guy that's going to make it in the NFL, and he did. So, uh, and of course, his uh, his coaching, he's he's just a very knowledgeable guy and an underachiever. So uh, it's great to have him back. Then we'll round out tonight's show with a return visit from Steelers legend and TNT guest Hall of Famer Rocky Blyer. Rocky has a one-man show called simply The Play about his life, and I highly recommend it, everybody. It's available online at broadwayondemand.com. Rocky does such a great job taking you through his life and the characters that are in it. Fascinating to hear about the bar that his parents owned and the cast of characters who would come in there, including, oh, by the way, Mr. Rooney. Really looking forward to hearing about that, plus more about his 70 Steelers Super Bowl teams and and those wins, plus maybe one that got away. We're looking forward to having Rocky as part of the show, Bob. Always a great time when he joins us. Yeah, probably, and you'll agree, uh, one of the greatest storytellers we've ever been privileged to talk to. And um, it's uh, it's always just an honor to have him on the show, Chris. And there's so much we can talk about. And uh, that's why he's in our Hall of Fame, and that's why he keeps coming back. That's right. So there you have it, folks. Another great show on tap for you tonight. So as always, sit back, relax. Let us take your mind off everything else going on in your life for the next couple of hours. It's time for another edition of Bob's Take. So, Bob, tell us what's on your mind tonight. All right, let's get into this week's edition of Bob's Take. And Bob, I want to start by getting your thoughts on Tom Brady making his 10th Super Bowl appearance. This is going to make 10 in essentially 20 years since he didn't play in 2000 during his rookie season. Bob, this record of playing in Super Bowls feels a bit like Cal Ripken's consecutive game streak or Joe DiMaggio's hitting streak, a record that may never be approached again. What are your thoughts? You're exactly right. The thing that comes to mind with me is Nolan Ryan, uh, 5,700 strikeouts or whatever, Chris. It, it's so off the charts that you can't even think about touching it. Um, when you, uh, when you 
mention that 10, uh, you know, 10, 10 Super Bowls. First of all, I'm thinking in the NFL, somebody would be very lucky just to play 10 years, right? Because, I mean, that's way more than the average career would last, 10 seasons in the NFL. Well, he's at 10 Super Bowls. Then you look at the 20, the 20 or 21, whatever you want to use, how a guy that has been able to play that kind of game for that long um, is is just beyond fascinating also. So it's not just about his appearances. It's about longevity. Um, but you're right. I mean, he uh, and the things that he has that he can do from here, there's still more things, Chris, that he probably that motivates him. You know, he could be the uh, another one of those wild card uh, winning quarterbacks. You know, that's about the only thing he hasn't done. Um, you know, he could be the first home team to win the Super Bowl. There's a few things in there that he's probably playing for here, but uh, you know, that's and the thing that would blow my mind the most though, if he was to pull this off, first quarterback to win a Super Bowl in three decades. And that that just doesn't happen. When you hear about three decades, we're talking about baseball players who just hang around for three decades, but uh, to win a Super Bowl in three decades, uh, that's beyond elite company. But uh, the accolades is so much for that guy, Chris. Uh, I'm sure we'll we'll talk about it some more, but it's just uh, things that will never be done again. Next, Bob, I want to get your thoughts. Today we heard that Deshaun Watson has to be traded from the Texans, something that we had heard was coming, right? So we had heard this for, for a little while now. But do you think he gets traded? And if so, where do you think he ends up? Well, you know, it seems like the rift between him and the owners, Chris, is, is, is huge. And in the middle of this, of course, Casario from New England became the GM, and that's what kind of set everything off. I mean, again, when a guy's making the kind of money he is, and they wield that kind of power, which I don't agree with, but that's the new NFL these days. But uh, it seems, at least right now, that they... uh it's unfixable as far as his relationship with the Texans. Even bringing in a new coach this week who's kind of an offensive guy, uh, it just seems that the things that have been said and everything. But having said all that, Chris, uh, he's still not talking to anybody in Houston. And, uh, you know, he's got this no-trade clause. There's going to be have, have a time when they're going to have to sit down and and get together and talk, even if he wants to get traded. You know, they they got to settle some things. Uh, there's got to be okays on, on either side to make this happen. So I don't know what he's doing, if he's being a little childish th- at this point or whatever. But uh, even if he wants out, you know, he's got to pick up the phone and say, yeah, I do want out. How can we make this happen? And he hasn't done that. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of places. That, there's, this is the most I've ever seen, Chris, of teams in need of a quarterback in a post, in, a, in an off season, shall we say. There's probably a good eight, nine teams that are in need of quarterbacks, you know, and some other ones have quarterbacks they might want to upgrade. So, you know, the landing spots we've heard are Miami. Uh, that would be very attractive because of the draft picks that Miami has. Uh, the Jets, I mean, I don't know why you would want to come to the Jets, but it seems like he's a big fan of their new coach, Robert Sala. So that may be a possibility. And, of course, there's other teams out there, like the Bears have been Mention of a, a team that needs new quarterback and maybe Washington, Chris, Alex Smith put aside. They, they just don't think he might be the answer, uh, long term. And there's other teams. So this, uh, this will be very interesting. Who wins that sweepstakes? One more, Bob, and staying with the Texans. They hired Ravens wide receiver coach David Culley as their new head coach. 
I don't know when the last time a wide receivers coach got promoted all the way to head coach, and he's never even been a coordinator in the league. And not only was he their wide receivers coach, but he was their passing game coordinator as well. And he leaves an offense where their star quarterback only has one 300-yard passing game in his two and a half years as the starter. Their leading receiver this year only had 769 yards, and they were dead last in passing offense. He's been a wide receivers coach for several years, going all the way back to 1994. Seems like a curious choice to me, Bob. What are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, in a way, Chris, a head scratcher. You know, when they when his name came up, you know, a lot of people went to the computer to Google this guy. And, uh, you know, you've you got to be happy for the guy. I mean, he's 65 years old, Chris. He'll go into the league as one of the older coaches, uh, older head coaches out there. And uh, But uh, you're right. I mean, a guy that's uh, – it wasn't – it's not like he came off a very, very successful season with someone. Usually, uh, it's a coordinator. Number one, like you said, he's never been an offensive coordinator. It's usually an, a, a very successful OC that gets jobs. As uh, you know, I'm one of those guys that I just think guys are meant to be coordinators, meant to be wide receiver coaches. It's a different job when you become a head coach. Uh, maybe because of his age, he had a lot of guys in his corner thinking, well, he deserves it. You know, uh, I know Andy Reid said he's a very great person, very loyal. Uh, so things like that, they'll go a long way. Um, but uh, it, it'll be interesting what he does uh, with uh, maybe a new quarterback, Chris. So, there's nothing we can go by that says uh, he's going to be really good or he's going to be really bad. Uh, this is kind of uh, a very unique situation when a wide receivers coach gets a head job. There you have it, folks. That's this week's edition of Bob's Take. We've got our first guest, Don Beebe, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Don right on the other side of this real quick station break. You're listening to Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari, where NFL legends live on. Back to you, boys. And now back with us here on Thursday Night Tailgate is former Bills, Panthers, and Packers wide receiver and Aurora University head coach Don Beebe. Let me remind you about Don's background. He's from Aurora, Illinois, and he attended Caneland High School in Maple Park, Illinois, where he was a three-sport star lettering in track, basketball, and football. Started out his college career at Western Illinois University, later transferred to Chadron State College out in Nebraska, where he ran track and played football. Despite only being there for one year, he became the first person in school history to score a touchdown in every game. He was also the first to score five touchdowns in a game, set the single season record for most touchdowns with 15, most points with 90, and most all-purpose yards with 1,663. In track, he set the NAIA District 11 record in the 60-yard dash. The Omaha Herald named him the 1989 State College Athlete of the Year, and he was inducted into Chadron State's uh, Athletics Hall of Fame back in 2000, and their football stadium is now named in his honor. He was invited to the NFL Combine, where he ran a 4-4-40, fastest among the wide receivers. He was a third-round pick, but was the Bills in the 1989 draft, and he played in the league from 89 to 97 for the Bills, Panthers, and Packers, and was a part of the Packers' Super Bowl 31 championship team. And we're very excited he is back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Don, Chris, and Bob, Happy New Year. Thanks for coming back on the show. Welcome (laughs) back. That's an impressive uh, read-off there, Chris. 
<laughs> I, it was almost 99% true. I mean, but that was good. <laughs> uh, how are you guys doing? Uh, we're good fantastic, Don. How are you? How have you been dealing with all this COVID craziness? <laughs> like everybody else, just dealing with it. You know, as as Coach Levy would always say, when it's tough for everybody else, it's just right for us. So uh, we're making the most of it. We'll play a conference tournament schedule of five games this spring, and then we'll hopefully get back to normal with uh, the fall of 21. Don, I actually want to start by um, inquiring about your son, Chad, a great wide receiver for the Vikings, fought back from a, an ankle injury in 2019, had 20 receptions, a couple touchdowns this season, including seven catches. Uh, for 63 yards and a touchdown against Carolina, had a touchdown in the last game of the season in Detroit. Talk about Chad. How's he doing? You know, Chad has a. I mean, I had an incredible story of coming from nowhere. Uh, you know, as you as you well just read off um, and being the Phil's, Bills' first pick in the '89 draft. But my son's story is actually way more inspiring. To in the sense of just never giving up. He he went 10 years in a row from his sophomore year in high school all the way to his second year in the league of reconstructive surgery every year or a major injury that kept him out. He's never had a healthy season, ever. And yet he just finished his third year. This is his first year, his 11th, uh, since his sophomore year in high school that he had uh, no injury and played every game. So quite an inspiration of a lot of setbacks, but yet he just keeps picking himself off the mat and refuses to give up on his dream, and he's living it. Good for him. That's a great story. Don, I want to get your thoughts on the the conference championship games last Sunday with two of your former teams having a chance to make it to the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for either one of them. But what was your assessment from what you saw in those games? You know, first of all, the four best quarterbacks in the league this year were all playing last weekend, you know, and which is a testament to uh, if you if you want to win a Super Bowl, you got to have a great quarterback. I mean, you can think about all the quarter all the Super Bowls up until this point. How many have actually won it without a great quarterback? You probably count them on one hand. So you know, so it's it, it's it was fun to watch uh, some of the greats to ever play, uh, the greatest to ever play, and Tom Brady. I don't think anybody can argue that anymore. Um, and it's going to be a real interesting Super Bowl, and I think it's a fun one to watch because I think you're 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 going to see obviously two two of the best to ever play, one really old, one really young. I think you're going to watch the I think one of the greatest offensive minds to ever coach, certainly in today's game, the best play calling, play designing coach, Sandy Reid. And um, and I just I just there's a reason they're there. I mean, these are two great teams. Don, I got, I got to ask you, as a head coach now, one of the things that, that drives me crazy, and I know it was driving uh, a lot of my friends that are Buffalo Bills fans, what drove them crazy watching the game is when you leave, Pat Mahomes completed 22 of his 29 passes to either Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey. And during that game, I just I couldn't understand. I was watching it and thinking, why don't the Bills double both of those guys and make someone else beat them? You know, why let, those, why'd let Kelsey off the line of scrimmage that sort of thing is—is is that too simplistic a thought? How how would you defend against those two guys? Well, first of all, it's it's tough to double two, uh, especially a guy like Kelsey who can play in and out. I mean, he can he can be moved all over the field. Uh, and Tyreek is just an explosive guy. I mean, he's top five in the league explosiveness and 
And, and so it's really hard. You can take one guy out uh, with a cover nine or a cover seven, you know, defense. Uh, you can bracket him. You can play over the top. Uh, but it's tough to do that to two guys because you're really now taking away in any guy, especially a guy like Andy Reid. I'm going to tell you guys, if the Bills would have tried to do that, they would have exploited the Bills' defense in some way, shape, or form, you know, differently. Now, I will say this, that knowing that Patrick going into that game wasn't probably 100% with the turf toe and other things that were going on, I mean, gosh, or whatever, but, um, but especially the turf toe, you didn't, probably would have said he's probably not going to be the running quarterback that he had normally had been in the past. So that would have taken that out of the place if you were going to try to do the coverages that you were talking about taking those two away. But that's that's really hard to do. These guys are pro athletes now, you know. Right. Bob, questions for Don? Don, it's uh, great to speak with you again, and, and welcome back. And uh, we're, We've been on a topic of coaches and I was looking at some of your early ones when you came into the league. You had mentioned Marv Levy, but I was looking at the rest of that coaching staff, Don. Guys like March Abroda and Nick Nicolau, who uh, he had UConn roots up here, very popular up here in New England. He had Ted Cottrell on that team. But a guy like March Abroda, I brought him up on this show a lot. You know, I, I think people remember him as a fairly unsuccessful head coach. He had a few good years, but uh, he. Uh, every guy we've spoken to said, there is not a better guy than Marcia Broda, and he knew his stuff. And, and just comment, comment on guys like Ted and Nicola when you came into the league. Well, I mean, let's, let's talk Ted first. Um, you know, you're right. Ted is, Ted Marcia Broda was one of the finest human beings there is. I mean, I would put him, I mean, in that category of Coach Levy. Coach Levy is one of the finest human beings you'll ever meet. Um, so in that respect, yes, like 100%. And I, I would also say that you know, there's certain personalities and, you know, you, that you're, you're a coordinator, you're not a head coach or you're a head coach and you're not really a coordinator. So it's, it's hard to, it's hard to, uh, be both, even though there's been people that have done it, like Mike Holmgren, I played for Mike and he was head coach slash offensive coordinator. He's one of the very few that can pull that off. Andy Reid is another example, but I don't think that's real common. Um, not a lot of great coordinators become, you know, great head coaches. Not a lot of Heisman Trophy quarterbacks become great NFL quarterbacks. Um, so there, there's just a different moxie and makeup that, that, you know, you have to have to be a great, you know, head coach or quarterback, let's say. Nick Nicolau is one of my favorite human beings ever. He was a, a, a rare individual. You know, this, this five, nine Portuguese guy that knew his stuff inside and out, uh, studied the position, coached for a long time. Um, he was a man I loved, I'll be honest with you. Without Coach Nicolau, I'd never probably played in the league. Who knows? He was the one that really kind of gave me my shot, um, and he was a guy I highly admired. And then when he passed away, I made sure I made a trip out to the Boston area to be at his funeral and pay him the respects. Don, I, I'm sure uh, you've saw, I've watched some pro games um, this season, and, and, and it's been happening for a while. And I don't think I'm exaggerating when I'm saying the amount of drop balls uh, is just increasing. Now, I'm not sure if it's just trying to do ESPN things. Is it the gloves? 
Is it trying to run before they catch? Is it a combination of everything I just said? Uh, what do you see, Don, as far as the amount of drops? And this is even being done by good players. Yeah, I think, first of all, you're throwing a lot more. Okay, so, you know, oh, yeah. what used to be 20 passes, 25 passes were a lot. Now it's 50, 40, you know, so you're seeing a lot more throws. So there's going to be a lot more, obviously, I mean, drops. Um, but I, I would say I, I, I was thinking the same thing watching the games this year. Um, and, and I think sometimes they, they, they've kind of, there's always trend. Okay. We, let's get the really big six, three, six, four body, big guy that, you know, that might be able to run as well. Uh, that's not a great catcher of the ball. Uh, as opposed to maybe a, a slot guy that is, has great mobility, great route runner, and tremendous ball catcher, but he's going to move the chains like a Beasley, okay? Um, you know, so the, I, I think that trend has gone to trying to get, trying to find that 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", receiver uh, that may not have the ball skills, but they, they're big bodies, and they just throw it up to them. No, uh, to me, I'm, I would try to find both of them, you know. Uh, yeah, in today's game, the, the slot has become a huge thing. And I think that Bills, back in our day, Andre was kind of one of those first slot guys. Uh, and that no-huddle offense has morphed into what it is today with the four and five receiver sets. I mean, we were strictly at three receiver sets, but we had great tight ends and, you know, we had Thurman Thomas. Um, but today's game is just, it's a different game and you're going to see all different levels of, uh, types of court or wide receivers, I should say. But I think the main reason is there's passing a lot more. So you're going to see a lot more drops. And Don, let's take that last bit, uh, uh you know, a step further because I, I mean, I know the rules have changed and you can't touch guys and, you know, we're trying to make the game safer for sure. So going over the middle isn't as dangerous as it was when you played. But does the game have to change? I mean, I still think if you've got a great running game and a great defense, you're going to win. You're going to win your fair share of games. You may win yourself a Super Bowl. But it seems like, and, and you know, you know me, Don, as a as a Steeler fan. I mean, you talk about you know throwing throwing the ball 40 times. We just saw Ben Roethlisberger throw it 65 times. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it seems like it has just swung so the other way. But I don't think that means that. Run the running game and a great defense still isn't the recipe to win championships. Am I wrong? Am I just an old guy telling people to get off my lawn? <laughs> no, I, I, I mean the game is is definitely you know morphed into what it is today. I'm I'm a kind of guy like Mike Holmgren. He used to his philosophy when he got in the red zone, he was strong. And I mean, if you think about this logically, okay, the ball's at the eight yard line, let's say. Uh, to, for me, I'm going to throw it probably three times. I'm going to attack that end zone with the pass three times. I, instead of wasting a run, okay, that gets two yards, and I just wasted it down because the defense is more compact. The safeties are up. It's a shorter side, of, shorter you know area of the field. Going to be more guys in the box, most likely. Most teams actually go man when you get down there, especially. And so it's harder to run it in. Why don't you just take three chances at, at the end zone? You know, that's my philosophy. Now, obviously, if they empty out the box, you got 
four receiver, your 10 personnel, four receiver set, uh, you know, then you might take that chance. But man, that's why I would, I would try to get a quarterback that can, that has legs that can run. Okay. And, the, and it certainly is starting to get into that more and more every year with that Cam Newton type of player that now you spread out with five wide ride receivers and then you get the scoreback and they empty the box. Now that's where I would do and that's where I would run. And that's what we do, you know, at Aurora University. Let me ask you sort of in that same sort of scenario that you mentioned as you're down inside the 10 yard line. Seems like we saw that play late in the game between the, the Chiefs and the Bills where Kelsey gets in the, you know, lines up on the line of scrimmage. You know, a lot of traffic running around. He sort of delays there at the line and then slips out. And is, there's, there's not a bill, it seems like, in the same area code as he catches that, you know, little flick pass from Mahomes and walks yeah. into the end zone. How does a play like that happen? Is that a blown coverage? Is that a, you know, the tight end becomes unaccounted for? Is that somebody that missed what they were, their assignment, what they're supposed to do? How does that happen? That play drove me nuts. Yeah, it's actually, I, again, it's just a great, it's just a great call by Andy Reid. I mean, it is something that's been in the playbook. I've seen him run it probably four times now in the last two years. And it's something that when you get down there and he will spread you out, he'll get the box, if he sees what he likes, okay, and, and obviously Mahomes and any NFL quarterback that's worth anything can always check off for Omaha the call and go to the other side. And so it, that's the benefit of having somebody like that type of quarterback that can make these reads, get into the right play. And that's what makes the Brady's, the Peyton Manning's, and the Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees's of the world, you know, because they're just smarter than you, okay? And there's really nothing the defense <laughs> can do about it because, you know, you can only run and do so much on the defensive side of the ball and the offensive league can see what you're doing, audible it out. And that's why you sometimes – pre-snap guys, you'll see the play change two or three times before the ball's even snapped. Peyton Manning's playing. He used to do that all the time. So I'm sure they got the look that they like. Okay, if it, it typically down there, it's a man uh, deal, and all, all you have to do with the center of the guard, depending on the, what the front is, is you just you combo up to the guy that's playing Kelsey man-to-man, and you just pick him off and he walks in. You know, it's, it's, it's not difficult when you got a quarterback that can get you in the right call, and he's really an offensive coordinator on the field. That's a dangerous thing and tough to stop. Don, you mentioned earlier that uh, your team is getting ready to play now. You're, I think, 51 days until your first game. You mentioned that five-game sort of tournament. Talk about the abbreviated schedule and uh, you know what we can look forward to from Aurora football this season. Well, I, you know, again, let's talk quarterback. I, I you know, our quarterback last year threw 57 touchdowns in 11 games. Wow. And he wow. was the he was the third vote getter in the Gillardy Trophy, which is the Heisman for Division Three. He's the only junior coming back. He's the front runner uh, of uh, coming back. Um, and he's a guy that has developed into like a, a time Tom Brady mentality. And, and I have all the trust in him and, and he goes into a game, and it's just really hard to stop because if he sees five in the box, he's going to run it. He's going to just take off. If he sees six in the box, he's going to pick out the guy that he wants to throw it to. So, you know, guys, I, I love what we have. He's going to be a senior next fall. And, um, and I think with, with him at the helm, 
in the in the we got a left tackle transfer from U of I to six six, you know, three thirty. We got a right tackle that transferred from Arizona State, he's six five, three oh five. I mean, our offensive line is ridiculously big. And so I, I just I like our chances, I like our team, I like the chemistry. Um we just gotta be able to get through this COVID thing and get this thing rolling in the twenty one. Because I'm pretty excited about this team. So talk about you know give your give your quarterback some props. Is this a guy that you know may find his way as a, whether he gets drafted late and you know in, in the draft he, he gets uh, an opportunity as an undrafted free agent? Talk about who he is and what his opportunity is at the next level. Well, he's I mean he's gonna he's a little short. I mean he's, I call him Drew Brees of Division Three. You know he's a five ten guy. <laughs> Uh, 190, and he's well put together, and he can throw. I mean, guys, this guy can make the throws. Uh, I would saw, probably see him as a better fit uh, um, in the Canadian League. I mean, he's a he's a Doug Flutie-type uh, player. I mean, you can't touch him. He's a water bug back there, and he's got an arm. I mean, he's got a cannon of an arm. Um, any, I, I think any Canadian team that picked this kid up would get a really nice quarterback, that's for sure. So he'll, yeah, I'm sure he's going to try to make his shot, and you just never know. You never know. You just got to please one guy. Give everybody his name so they can be looking out for him. Sure, his his, uh, his name is Gavin Zimmelman, and right. um, he'll be a senior next year. And uh, you know, they could just look up on Division Three national stats and the poll, uh, the Gallardi Trophy deal. He was third in the balloting last year. And, like I said, he's kid's a stud. And the cool thing about it is that his junior year, flat in 2018, he threw 12 touchdowns and had no confidence. You know, and I just remember coaching him. And after the third day, he would just shell up. And I always tell people, and I, you know, recruits, and just, or if I'm out publicly speaking, you know, I, I'm not, you know, this may sound crazy, but, uh, you know, you, to me, X's and O's and talent, it's important, don't get me wrong, but the most important thing, is is character and and just believing in yourself that you can do an amazing things. I'm a living example of that. My son's a living example of that. There's a lot of guys I could point out that have played in the NFL that when you looked at him, you know, that guy don't look so good, you know, athletic or whatever. And then there's freaks too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, guys like Robert Quinn. I've trained Robert. Robert's about six four and a half, runs a four five nine forty, and <laughs> it's ridiculous. You know, two hundred and seventy two pound guy. But then there's guys like Mike Singletary and, you know, Zach Thomas and guys that, really? Don Beebe, he, that guy's a pro athlete? Really? But they just, <laughs> bottom line, they just make plays. And that's and that's what Gavin Zimmerman is. The guy just flat out makes plays. Bob, one more for Don before we let him go? Hey, sure, Don. You had mentioned Andre Reed, and uh, he actually will be turned 57 years old tomorrow. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's amazing to me, like you said, uh, a guy like him, um, a Hall of Famer, Don, I mean, out of Cutstown, fourth-round draft pick, uh, obviously quite close to a 1,000 balls for over 13,000 yards. That's why he's in Canton. But what other qualities made him a Hall of Famer? Well, first of all, he should have been a first-ballot first guy. I mean, how mm-hmm. a guy like him takes as long as that to get in, in my mind. Now, again, there's a lot of, a lot of great receivers that are still on the board, you know, but, but Andre, uh, you know, it's funny. Um, 
I, I say this all the time. People ask me, well, who do you think the greatest wide receivers are to ever play? Well, I always say Jerry Rice first. That's a no-brainer. And uh, and I always say Andre Reed. Andre Reed's one of the best wide receivers that ever played a game. You know, I know he's in the Hall of Fame. I get it. But he deserves more credit than he got. He had zero weakness. I mean, absolutely no weakness. Okay, he's explosive off the ball. He catch everything. Tough as nails. Um, great route runner. Great run after the catch guy. Uh, I, 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 the only knock you could ever say, well, he didn't have that, you know, four 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 three speed. Well, I don't remember ever seeing Andre get caught either. <laughs> so he had enough speed to 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 play in the National Football League. So uh, he in, incredible wide receiver. I mean, just incredible. Um, so and I played with two Hall of Famers. I mean, Lofton's right up there as well, and there's mm-hmm. two great human beings. Uh, what I would say about both of those guys is longevity and how well they took care of their body. When you look at Andre now, you know, turning 57, he, he literally looks like he could still play. I mean, it's crazy. Okay, mm-hmm. and Andre and James is the same way. Both their body fats when we were playing, I think we're in the 3 or 4% body fat. That's crazy. You know, so it was, we had a lot of fun. That's all I can tell you guys. We had, That team had a lot of fun. Don, before we let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's at Aurora or it's uh, with your speed camps? Yeah, so, uh, you know, the best way, actually, just go to DonBB.com, guys. DonBB.com kind of tells everything I'm doing. and so in the, Or RoarUniversity.edu, if they want to learn more about Aurora University football. Any great recruits out there, guys? Send my way, man. We'll take New Yorkers, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Don, you're fantastic, my friend. We can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. We hope you come back and join us again soon, and we wish you a heck of a lot of luck uh, in this conference tournament coming up here in a few weeks. Yeah, any anytime, guys. I appreciate it. Great speaking with you. All right. Take bye-bye. care, Don. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Good night. That's a great Don Beebe, Bob. Uh, you know, you want to talk about underrated guys, and uh, he certainly gave a lot of credit to Andre Reed. Don was a, a heck of a player and a heck of a speedster, and we've we've heard heard the story a couple of times about how uh, Chris Dishman, who's another great friend of the show, covered Don early in his career, heard heard about the legendary speed, wasn't sure it was real, and then got burned for I think it was a sixty-three yard touchdown when he uh, tried to press him to see uh, how fast the kid was, and uh, he lived up to the billing. Yeah, he uh, was a special guy. I think I, I, I mistakenly called him an underachiever. He was an underrated overachiever. That's what I was trying to say. There that's you what go. Don Beebe, and that's what his son is too, Chris. I mean, he, he mentioned those two guys are almost exactly the same size, but Beebe was a track guy and uh, made a lot of guys, and, and Chris Dishman shouldn't feel uh, too bad because he didn't, just do it to Chris. He did it to an awful lot of guys who came up to Buffalo. <laughs> All right. We've got our next guest, Tony Collins, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Tony on the other side of this real quick station break. Hear your favorite NFL legends sharing their stories and insights every week right here on Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari. Take it away, guys. There's no way out. And now back with us here on Thursday night, tailgate is former Patriots Pro Bowl running back Tony Collins. Hey, Tony, Tony, how are you, my friend? Doing fantastic. How you doing, Chris and Bob? Okay, We're good, Tony. my friend. So I tell you what, Tony, 
It's you and me going into the Super Bowl. We both I'm picked done. the uh, the Chiefs and the Bucks last week. Bob Bob took a flyer on the Packers at home. Unfortunately, that didn't work out. So it's you and me heading into uh, the final game of the season. Thirteen and four. Bob's <laughs> eleven and six. So I don't know, yeah. my friend. It's going to be interesting to see uh, which which way you decide to go. We're going to hold our Super Bowl picks till next week, but uh, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see who you pick. And if I pick the same team, I think we got to come up with, man, I don't know, maybe total points as a tiebreaker. But uh, game on, my friend. Uh, we, no, we, 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 no, this is what we do. We pick the same team. We, we have to pick the score. So who's ever, who's ever the closest on, on the score will, will win. We have to go like that. <laughs> All right. That's, that's fine. However you want to play it, my friend. I'm going to take you down. I'm going to win my first title. Either which way. Hey, so. I, want, I want the title back, man. You know, I'm trying to get the title back. <laughs> I know you are, but I'm trying to I'm trying to get myself one. You got one, Bob's got one. I got to get one. So I mean, it's like Tom Brady, right? Like we were talking at the top of the show. I I think Brady has to go play for every team in the NFL before he retires. Any team that's never won a Super Bowl or been to a Super Bowl, Brady should have to go to. Everyone should get a get a Super Bowl. All you got to do is insert Tom Brady and your team's going to the Super Bowl. So if guys, anyone else, the guys, one, I got to go. The guy's incredible, man. He's 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 definitely the goat, no no doubt about it. Yeah, no. As Don Beebe just said in the last segment, that's there's no question about that now. Tony, like I say, we're gonna hold the Super Bowl picks the next week, but there's a lot of you know fun prop picks. We did this last year, so mm-hmm. I, I, you know we, we'll get to those, and that's what I want to pick tonight. But before we get to that, I want to go back to your experience just playing in the AFC Championship and and in the Super Bowl, and those were in the 1985 season. When you guys got to the AFC Championship game, you guys had to play the Dolphins for a third time that season. You guys had split during the regular season. And the, and you right. guys and the Patriots organization hadn't won in Miami since 1966. And then you had to go into Miami to try to get yourself <laughs> to the Super Bowl. I mean, talk about that. Was Was that a thing? Were you guys aware that the Patriots hadn't won in Miami since 66? Oh, absolutely. I mean... Even with the media back then, it, 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 it was like we have one down there in like 20 years or something like that. So it, it was it was something special. But the crazy thing about it was Miami was the only team to beat uh, Chicago that year uh, during the season. And so everybody wanted that game again. They wanted Chicago because Chicago had already won uh, the, 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 the game before. So everybody wanted Chicago and Miami. To uh to go to the Super Bowl that that they they thought that would be a great matchup, but uh man I'm gonna tell you it was it was one of the best times of of my career playing uh in that in that playoff series. Uh, if you guys don't know, we we actually were on the road against the Jets. We beat the Jets. Then we had to go all the way out to L.A. and beat the Raiders. Nobody thought we were gonna beat the Raiders. The Raiders had a great team: Marcus Allen, Howie Long. Um, you know they had Mark. Mike Mike Haynes, Lester Hayes. I mean, they had they were stacked. Nobody thought we were going to beat them, and then beating them, and then we had to come to come back to Miami, and so nobody thought we were going to beat Miami down in Miami because we haven't won down there in about twenty years, and uh, it was, I mean, it was like the game was like we when we went into that game after we beat the Raiders, we just I I just felt we we're going to win. We we thought we were a better team than they were. And all we had to do was 
is run the ball and, and, and keep Marino keep Marino from the ball. That was our game plan, keep Marino from the ball. But uh, our defense and our special teams, we, we, it was incredible that year. We had a bunch of turnovers. Uh, well, not not turnovers. We we got turnovers on, on them, and uh, that was that was the key of the game. Stopping stopping Marino, keeping Marino off the field. And, and beating them down there was one of the greatest games uh, of, of my of my career. And and to that point, Tony, I mean, you you look at you know obviously Miami as well was coming off a a Super Bowl appearance the year before, so they were looking to get right. back to the Super Bowl for a second consecutive year. So it's interesting to hear that you know I mean obviously you want to keep Dan Marino off the field. I mean that's the, the way you, you keep a a great quarterback from killing you is, is keeping him on the sideline. But, you know, talk about the game. Was it, was it to give the ball, you know, to you and James and, uh, and just, just, just try to grind the clock out and, and really run it and, and, you know, ball control, that, time, time management. And that's the way we're going to win. That's exactly what our game plan was. Um, I think, uh, you know, what we wanted to do is, is run the ball as, as much as possible. Uh, I think I, I, I'm not sure what the score was, but I know I, I scored a touchdown from a pass from from Easton, and and after I when I scored that touchdown, it was less like you know we can beat these guys, man. They, they're not, they're not that good, and uh and then the defense had a couple we we had a couple of great plays, a couple of turnovers, and and you know it it was it was a game. I mean it wasn't close. I mean to be honest with you, the game really wasn't close. We 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 put a Put a beating on the Dolphins that that game. Yeah, indeed. I mean, so just to to you know set the scene for everybody. I mean, Tony Eason in that game was ten of twelve for seventy one yards and three touchdowns. <laughs> One, as you say, was to Tony Collins. So it's uh, unbelievable when yards, you think that, that you could you could win the whole, the, the whole game, right? Yeah, that's that's right. crazy. You know, seventy seventy one yards for a quarterback. That's right. Who would have ever guessed that you could win a game when your quarterback only throws for 71 yards and 71 <laughs> yards and three touchdowns? So, uh, yeah, that was that was something. Five questions for Tony. Yeah, Tony, I wanted to stay kind of on that same topic. Postseason games versus regular seasons. Was there a major different feeling or atmosphere going into the first postseason game, Tony? Uh, were there butterflies? Uh, I mean, how did you deal with all that excitement? Yeah, man, it, 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 it was, you know, it was, it was the first time in a long time since New England had, had gotten to the playoffs. I think, well, this is 19, it was 84, 85 season. Um, man, we hadn't been in the playoffs for, it, it's been maybe six, seven years. So, um, it, it, it was, it was a, it was a point for me. You know, it was like like my third or fourth year in the league, and I was just man, I was I was pumped up because you know you that's what you play the game for is to get to the Super Bowl. You know, your chances of getting to the Super Bowl are really slim and none. And so when you got that opportunity to win to to win a playoff game, and you understand, you know how how important this game is. You know, it's a you know you're you're kind of nervous in the beginning because you know this could be the last game of the season. But once the game starts. It's like okay, it's just, it's just another game now. You know, we're, we're we're playing, we're playing to win. But you know, once the game starts, it's just like another game. That's how it felt to me. 
just, you know, you play and you, you're playing your heart out and doing whatever you can. You know, one of the things that I used to do is visualize, um, uh, before I, before I went out and just visualize, you know, making good plays, making good blocks and making the catch, making, making the good runs and just doing everything, uh, before I even get on the field. And that, that helped a lot for me as, as a player. And I'm pretty sure a lot of other players did the same thing, but, uh, yeah, it's a game that you know you have to win or you're, you're going home and you're going fishing, as they say. Tony, you've always been very complimentary about Raymond Barry, that 85 coach of the Patriots. Uh, we know he was a great player, uh, but what did you – just remind our listeners, what did you like most about him and respect most about him? Obviously, uh, everything – something rubbed off because all these years later, you, you still talk highly of him. Oh, absolutely. Coach, Coach Barry was, uh, professional. Just, I, I just have to put it to you like that. I, I never see, I never saw him get upset. I never saw him. I, I never heard, I never heard him yell. And, and, you know, he had a lot, a lot of times he should have yelled, but he never yelled. And, but he, you know, we knew he was a Hall of Fame player. And, you know, you, you know, I hardly, I really seen not too many clips of him playing. I know he played with John Unitas, and they won a whole bunch of championships in Baltimore. And uh, and, and but to get to know him as a person, uh, he he cared about us, man. He really, really cared about us, and he taught us how to win. And that was that was that was something special for us because we we were losing. I mean, my rookie season, man, we went two and fourteen, and it was just like, oh my god, this is just crazy. And you know, Ron Myers came in the next year and. Uh, kind of, kind of turned things around, but Ron Myers had just came up from SMU and, you know, he was, you know, he was a college coach, you know, that's pretty much a lot of the, a lot of the older guys, the veterans really didn't like Ron, Ron too much. You know, I was still young. It was my second year in the league. So I was, I was still st- just a little, just a little pup. Didn't matter to me, but a lot of guys, you know, didn't really care about the, the philosophy that Ron Myers had. And when Raymond came, he just turned it around, man, with, with the confidence that he, that he showed and the, and the confidence that he gave us was, was so important. And not just, uh, uh, on the field, it was off the field as well. Um, we, 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 we actually became a family that year. Uh, you know, we would go every Monday. This is, this is what we would do every Monday after a game. You know, every, the whole team would go down to the little restaurant and, and you know, one one week the offensive line will pay, the running backs will play another week, and you know, so on and so on. We did that every week, so we were together not just on the football field, but we were together, you know, off the field as well, and we became a family. And uh, he he was the person that I respect so much now, and like a father figure to me, and uh, still love him today. All right, guys, let's get into some of our some of the prop picks that you have an opportunity to, to wager on at the Super Bowl, some of the crazy stuff that's out there. Um, and I want to start at the beginning, the national anthem being sung this year by Eric Church and Jasmine Sullivan. Uh, and did you know, I, this, I just learned this today, the, per, the performers for the uh, Star Spangled Banner for the uh, national anthem, not paid. They get, uh, they get their, you know, expenses paid to get them there and their equipment, that sort of stuff, but they don't get paid. They, the NFL feels like the publicity they're getting for being able to sing that song is uh, is payment enough. So that was sort of a head scratcher for me. But um, 
Anyway, uh, over under on the time it's going to take to sing the national anthem is uh, a minute and 58 <laughs> seconds. Now, Demi Lovato did it last year in a minute 51. The famous Whitney Houston rendition was right at a minute 58. So, Tony, your prediction, over under on a minute 58 on the national anthem. I, I really don't know. I don't really don't know these people that well, but I'm going to go for the over because you know, like like you said, they're not getting paid. Thing is, uh, there's not going to be a whole lot of fans uh, at the game like like a usual Super Bowl game. Uh, so they'll probably try to go longer to try to entertain uh, the little fans that uh, that, that are there uh, as possible. So I'm going to go over. <laughs> All right, makes sense. Bob, what do you think? You wonder if they're able to bet themselves on it, Chris, right? <laughs> Once they get the number in mind, man. Holy cow. That could Good be call. dirty, right? That could be cool, man. But uh, I'm with Tony. You know, I mean, this is their chance to, to perform. You know, they don't sing the anthem anymore. Everybody, it's a it's a performance these days. So, yeah, we're thinking maybe 205. So, yeah, I'll go over. You're going over? All right. I, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be contrary. I'm going to say... Under since Demi Lovato went under last year, and then these guys go under as well. Kind of a trend. Let's talk about uh, toss of the coin, heads or tails, Tony, and it's come up tails five of the last six years. I'm going with heads. Going with heads, of going course, right? Heads. A lot of averages. Tony says heads. Bob, what do you think? Yeah, if you're studying statistics, five out of six, it's gotta. We're gotta go with heads. I'll, I'll go with Tony. Yeah, well, I'm going to go the opposite way again, right? Tails never <laughs> fails. It's come out five in the last six years. I say the trend continues. I like tails. All right, who's going to score the first touchdown of the game? Now, actual touchdown. doesn't count if you throw it, so not a touchdown pass. Who scores the the, the uh, actual first touchdown? Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill, Cl- you know, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Daryl Williams, Mike Evans, you know, Chris Godwin, Leonard Fournette, Rob Gronkowski, quarterback thing. I don't know. What do you think, Tony? Who scores the first touch? I'm going with Fournette. Uh, Tampa Bay scores first. Fournette, a uh, little short run, a little three-yard run. Fournette, I'm going with Fournette. Wow. Okay. Bob? Wow, you've named some guys that can score there. How about, you know, since uh, they, no one can cover him, I mean, if they get close, how about Kansas City and Kelsey? That's a safe bet. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and I agree with you. That's that's my pick as well. I think it's, uh, uh, you know, Ten, eight, ten-yard touchdown pass. I like, I like it to be Kelsey and KC. Um, of the of, in the game, highest scoring quarter, first, second, third, or fourth. What is the highest scoring quarter of the game, Tony? Uh, highest scoring quarter is the fourth quarter. Wow, it's gonna, it's gonna be really? it's gonna be a fun game. It's gonna be a fun game to watch, brother. You gotta watch this. One. Wow, fourth okay. quarter. Bob, which one do you think? Yeah, I'm thinking, well, I mean, it's going to be the second half. Um, yeah, I'll go with Tony. You know, it's going to be a shootout at the end. They're going to take more chances and probably a lot of fourth down uh, keep going. So, yeah, fourth quarter. Wow, okay. Well, I agree with you on the second half. I'm going to say it's going to be the third quarter. I think it's going to be tight at halftime, maybe a three-point game. And then I think uh, Kansas City comes out and blows doors in the third quarter. So I like them in the third. Um, getting back to Travis Kelsey, Tony, over under 98 and a half yards receiving for the game. And he had 118 yards last week. And then last year's Super Bowl only had 43 yards and a touchdown against the 49ers. Over under on 40, uh, on uh, 98 and a half yards receiving 
for Kelsey. He's going to go over. I mean, you know, uh, Mahomes has so many weapons on the field, man. You know, it, it's just and, and I don't know how, how Tampa Bay is going to, going to cover all those guys. They're going to have to play zone sometime. Uh, playing man with these guys is just too risky, uh, but he's definitely going to go over. Okay. Bob, what do you think? I agree with Tony. I mean, he could have caught 20 passes last week, Chris. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, he'll probably do another 12, 13 catches, and uh, he'll be just at around, I'll say, over 100. Yeah. Over 100. Okay. And I like, and I'm with you. I think, I think I'm going over as well. I think he is too hard, like you have said uh, throughout uh, the last few weeks, Bob. Too hard to cover. I don't know that uh, Tampa Bay has anybody that's going to be able to cover him. I like the over on the 98 and a half as well. When will the first score of the game occur? Uh, and the over-under on it is five and a half minutes into the game. Tony, what do you like? Quick score? You think it's going to take a while? No, I think it's going to take a while. But I, you know, both, both teams have decent defenses and, you know, um, you know, they, they're going to fill each other out. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with, uh, the over on that. No, it's not going to be an early score. I don't think. Okay. Tony goes over. Bob, what do you think? I think Tony's right. I think, you know, you're probably going to come out and see a three and out and then maybe a sustained drive by the other team. It's going to take probably seven minutes or so. So over. Yeah. And I agree with both of you guys. I think it's going to take a little bit longer. I don't know that even if Kansas City were to get the ball first, that they're going to march right down the field and, and under five and a half minutes and get the first score of the game. So I'm with you. Uh, longest field goal of the game, zero to 15 yards. Uh, I'm sorry, my bad. Longest touchdown from scrimmage of the game, zero to 15 yards, 16 to 30 yards, 31 to 45, 46 to 55, or over 56 yards. Tony, what do you think the longest touchdown from scrimmage is going to be? Definitely over fifty six. We 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 we're gonna see. I, I think I think both quarterbacks will have over over three hundred and fifty yards passing in this game. Wow. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm definitely going with the 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 the, the big one. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, that's that's sort of the this version of the Tony Collins blowout special of the week. So <laughs> over fifty six yards for Tony. Bob, what do you think the longest uh, touchdown from scrimmage is gonna be? Uh, you said 31 to 45, Chris. I'm going to go more than 45 yep. Tyreek Hill style just because that guy's going to get back at somebody. Um, so, yeah, over 45, and a, I, I could almost guarantee Hill's going to do one. All right, so you think 46 to 55 or over 56? 46 to 55. All right. Um, I like it, but I think it's going to be a little bit shorter than both of you guys. I like 31 to 45. I, I'm sure Hill's going to get behind somebody as well. I can see him getting a, you know, 40, 45 yard touchdown pass. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to go the shorter of that route. I'm going to go for uh, 31 to 45 yards on the longest touchdown from scrimmage. Let's talk field goals. Longest field goal of the game. One to 40 yards, 41 to 45, 46 to 50. Or over 50 yards for the longest field goal of the game, Tony? I'll go with 41 to 45. Okay. Not that far. Bob, what do you think? And the the reason I'm going with the 41 to 45 is that I think a lot of times when both of these teams get get in in, in the other uh, team's other side of the 50, a lot of times they're going to go for it. So I I say 41 to 45. Really, you think these teams in a Super Bowl are going to go for it? If you 
What do you think? And I, just a little side if, note. If, if, so, if, you know, if, you're on the if, other side if, of the 50, if, and it's fourth and if, two or three. You think they go? If Kansas City has a fourth and two on 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 on, on Tampa Bay's 46-yard line, they're going to go for it. They come because they 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 know they can they know they can get two yards, and I and I yeah. I, I don't know if I don't know if, I don't know if Brady them can do that, but I know Kansas City will. They're fourth and two on 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 Tampa Bay's forty five yard line. Oh, you're going for it, man! Ah, all right, no conservative, no holding back. I'm <laughs> going all in on the Super Bowl for Tony Collins. Bob, what do you think on longest field goal? I think Kansas. City. I like Butker. I mean, I think he's going to get a chance somehow. Maybe they just get enough in field goal range where he gets one in the, just about 50 to 53 in that area. So I'm going to say over 50, and I'm going to say Butker's going to do it. Wow. Okay. So I'm going to I'm going to go with the 46 to 50 perspective. So I'm in between you guys again here. I you know I think certainly a 47 yard field goal doesn't seem like it. You know, that much to ask from your kicker in a Super Bowl. Um, I, I'm curious, you know, Tony, Tony with the aggressive Kansas City is going to go for it on fourth and two, uh, on the, on the Buck side of the field. I'm, I'm not so sure. I mean, you know, you, if you think about it, Bob, in that 51 yard, you know, kind of area, right? So you're somewhere around the, the 30, what, 33 yard, 34 yard line. Uh, and then the, the ball is obviously at the, at the 44 yard line. And, uh, you know, place. So that's where you're going to give up the ball if you miss. I think, I think, uh, I think you get a little tight, right? If you're going to give either one of those quarterbacks, Brady or Mahomes on a miss, um, if it's at 51, if it's even, you know, you go 53, obviously it's a little further up at the 43 yard line. Well, that's some, that's some tough field position. I'd be, I'd love to see it. I'd love the aggressiveness, but I, I think that's, I think that's, uh, asking a lot of your defense against either one of those quarterbacks. So I think it's going to be somewhere between 41 and 45 yards. Tony, total points in the game. The over-under is 56 and a half. What do you like? Over-under that, that uh, 56 and a half points for the game. Wow. That, that, you know, that's, that's a tough one. And, you know, um, both of the defenses, I, I, I feel, are, are pretty good. The thing about Kansas City right now, uh, they got two offensive linemen, two good offensive linemen that are, that are not going to be playing in this game, and you know Tampa Bay is going to going to they know that and they're going to be putting pressure on Mahomes a lot. And um, but but Mahomes got so many weapons that's that's the, that's the crazy thing. So they'll they'll figure something out. So, but you know beginning is going to be kind of slow. But that fourth quarter they're going to they're going to put some points on the board. I'm just trying to weary how many points they're going to have before the fourth quarter. But I, I think I think for sure I'm saying 25-25 a piece for each team. So I got to I got to go over 50. You got to go 56 and a half though. Is it, is it under the 56 yeah, and a yeah, half? Yeah. I, 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 I think it will be. I, I, I'm going to go over. I'm going to go over. I, You're going to go over 56 and a half. Over, 50, over 56 and a half. You know, Twenty-five points, you know that that that'll give you fifty. I I think I, I'm pretty sure Mahomes can put up thirty points w- without a doubt, and Brady's gonna be right there with him. So it, it, I, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with the over fifty-six. Bob, what do you think? That's a tough one. You know, I I have 
that kind of score in my mind, it could be a 31-24 or 34-28. Well, there's a big difference there, you know. You have 31-24, you have 55 points, or can they go over 60 with a 34-28 game? Uh, but 56, Chris, I'm going to say, I, I'm going to say they can go close to 60. Yeah, I'm going to go over 56, 34-28 somebody. Wow. Okay. And and, I, and I'm with you. I'm I'm taking the over as well. I thought the score is going to end up 31-27, so 58. So I think it's going to be mm-hmm. over the 56 and a half as well. Tony, you talked about a lot of passing. Who do you like? Who's going to have more passing yards, Mahomes or Brady? Wow. I, I think Mahomes will because the, the, the thing about what I, I think Tampa Bay is going to do, well, try to do, is, is that, that's going to be the thing. They're going to try to run the ball against KC. Uh, uh, and Brady's going to, you know, you know, he's going to be doing that short passes, getting up, getting the ball out of his hands real quick. Uh, Mahomes is going to, you know, he's got so many weapons. So he's just, I got to go with Mahomes. Mahomes going to, he's going to have more, more yards than, than Brady. Bob, who do you like? Mahomes or Brady? More passing yards. I think Tony's on to it. I, I, I think, um, as Tony said, he might get pressured, but he's he's probably going to throw a lot more short stuff. Kelsey's going to be a huge factor, I think, and he make him close to 150 yards himself. So uh, he'll be at 350 or more. I'm going to say Mahomes, definitely. And I'm with both of you guys. I, I like Mahomes to get the more yards. I mean, if Tyreek Hill is going to get a, a deep one, that's going to certainly put him up mm-hmm. substantially. And then, you know, if you can't cover Kelsey and all that sort of thing. So, I like uh, Mahomes. I, I think it's going to be certainly a lot of passing yards in the game, but I, I think Mahomes gets somewhere around 350. I think you're going to see Brady somewhere around the 280 mark. So, uh, yeah, I definitely think it's Mahomes. Tony, before we let you go, remind our listeners about the great things you do trying to help kids go to college. TonyCollinsFoundation.org. We're uh, just doing our best to help kids up in the upstate New York area get off to college. Tony, you're the best, my friend. We look forward to, you know, seeing how these uh, prop bets work out and uh, really getting into picking the the game next week. You and me trying to win a trophy. So, uh, like I say, game on, my friend. And uh, as as you did to me with my Steelers, and you and you did to Ange, I'm putting the stink eye on you. I'm putting the stink eye on you. So I win this thing. I'm looking forward to it, man. I can't wait. Ah, uh, same here. Take care, Tony. All the best to you and your family. Stay safe. Have a great week, Tony. God bless, guys. Have a good one. See ya. See ya, Tony. All right. We've got our next guest, Rocky Blyer, hanging on the line. We're going to get to rock right on the other side of this real quick station break. Thursday Night Tailgate, where the spotlight is always on the positive. Tune in Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time to hear your favorite NFL legends, players, and coaches sharing their stories. Now back to Chris and Bob. I wouldn't joke about anything else that happened to you tonight. All right, now back in making his 11th appearance with us here on Thursday Night Tailgate is Steelers legend, one of our all-time favorite guests and TNT Guest Hall of Famer, Rocky Blyer. Let me remind you about Rocky's background. He's from Appleton, Wisconsin. At Xavier High School, he starred in football and basketball. He was a three-time All-State selection at running back and won all-conference honors at linebacker and defensive back. Played his college ball at Notre Dame, where he helped them win the 1966 National Championship, and he was team captain in 1967. 
drafted in the 16th round by the Steelers in 1968. During his rookie season, he was also drafted into the Army and went to fight for our country over in Vietnam. Was awarded the Bronze Star and Purple Heart after being injured in the line of duty. Rejoined the Steelers in 1971, spent the next two years working and working his way back and regaining a, a, a roster spot after he had actually been waived two times. Came back and was ultimately a part of four Super Bowl championship teams with the Steelers in the 70s. Retired at, after the 1980 season. Over the course of his career, he rushed for nearly 3,900 yards and added another 1,300 receiving yards, scored 25 touchdowns, averaged 4.2 yards per carry, and he has a wonderful one-man show about his life called simply The Play that we highly recommend. You can go watch it online at broadwayondemand.com. We are thrilled Rocky is back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Rock, Chris, and Bob, thanks for coming back on the show. Welcome back, Rocky. Hey. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Eleven times. This is me. Oh, just seems like a couple. <laughs> well, we are thankful for all eleven. I promise you that. <laughs> Rocky, I want to start our time with you by talking about your play. Uh, it it really is fantastic, and you're you are certainly one of the all time great storytellers, and you do such a wonderful job taking us through your life and. And what it was like, and you, and your family's bar, and the characters that were in it, and and uh, sort of all the way through, you know, the rest of your life. Fantastic stuff. Kudos to you. Well, thank you, thank you very much. Um, so we've been. Well, let me say, I think the, the first performance we did was almost five years ago um, at a, a extravaganza, one night only, uh, the play with Rocky Blair here in Pittsburgh, and then uh, then. People liked it, and so we brought it back again, 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 and so now I'm very fortunate that it's uh, on Broadway on demand. Somebody said you're going to go to Broadway one day. I didn't know it was going to be Broadway <laughs> on demand, but <laughs> anyway, um, it's available to the to to the general public out there. So I hope they enjoy it. Uh, and just a, as an overview of that of that uh, play, it really takes place in three bars as we uh, as we navigate my life. Uh, of course, the first bars where I grew up and the characters, as you had made mention, and takes us through Notre Dame and the second bar when I come to Pittsburgh and, uh, and and into the military and then coming back to Pittsburgh. And then the third bar is really my home bar where I sit and reflect on what made the Steelers as successful as they were during that period of time um, and the people and, and, uh, and uh, some of the games. Um, but anyway, uh, we've had uh, great reviews on it, and, um, and so I just hope that uh, those who are interested in it, uh, Steeler fans specifically who are out there, uh, will go to Broadway On Demand and uh, take a look at it. So, Rock, what was it like putting that play together, you know, getting with, together with Gene Collier and, and really kind of putting all the pieces of your life together in a, in a one-man play like that? Was that... Was that challenging for you? Was it was it easy to get up there and tell tell your story? Like I say, you're one of the great storytellers of all time. What was it like? So, for, you know, no, it wasn't. It wasn't very uncomfortable about doing that. Well, I, you know, I, I think in the beginning, what I had thought, and it, you know, like any any I any anything that takes place, there's always somebody that that has to have an idea, you know, that goes, and you know, so I came up with this idea. Actually. I, I was reading a book that had been uh, recently produced 
or came out maybe five or six years ago is about the Steeler uh, is about the Steelers and the Steeler history and, and the Rooney family. And all of a sudden there were stories in that book that I really I didn't really know about. And I thought, oh, how nice would it be to be able to incorporate some of those stories uh, and kind of do a monologue of of, of that. And so uh, I talked to some people, and obviously all it takes is somebody goes, hey, that's a pretty good idea. Maybe we should explore that. <laughs> so we go down that line, and eventually uh, it gets to a point where um, we, I get some people who are serious, and uh, and uh, Gene Collier, who uh, uh, is wonderful writer here in Pittsburgh and uh, and he wrote uh, a, and he wrote a play called The Chief about Mr. Rooney which was very successful and played here um, at the public theater for many many years um, and so he came on board and I was talking to him about doing the Steeler play and he said hey, now all those stories have been taken everybody knows, tells those stories no I think there's more to your story and so that became that became the impetus and then we had sat and talked uh, about about the bar and the characters and the stories that I knew, and it was really um, Gene who had kind of put them all together in this format uh, over a period of time. So when we were when we were going through this process, and, you know, and I was thinking, okay, fine, well, you know, I've had the I I felt somewhat comfortable being on stage, of giving speeches, of being in front of an audience. You know, that's part of it, but then. It was like, oh, now I have to memorize lines. I mean, now it's, you know, now it's not, somebody said, well, it's your story, so you can just make it up. Yeah, I said, I know, but Gene doesn't want me to make it up. <laughs> so he wants me to use, you know, what he wrote. And then, uh, um, so that became the, uh, that became, it was very interesting for me to go through that whole process of uh, memorizing uh the, the stories and then putting them in in, in place and uh, and making sure you got um, because there's all those writers I should say you know have all in the windows that lead from one story to another and if you don't quite make it it doesn't quite fit and so you want to do it justice and um, uh, so it uh, it uh, took us uh, it took us a while and uh, uh, to do it and so uh, but I'm glad that. It was done, and we got it done. It was a great experience for me and a great learning curve. Um, and then, as uh, I found out, much enjoyable by audiences who, who, who uh, were there um, and understood the background and, and, and the, the story thereafter. Hey, Rock, I, I also love your one man's opinion videos that uh, people can go see on your Instagram page, official Rocky Blyer. And- I got to get your opinion. What happened to our Steelers? I mean, 11 and 0 to almost a, a, a complete collapse there at the end of the season outside of the one half against the Colts, but uh, embarrassingly get bounced out against the Browns. What's your opinion? What happened? Well, basically, I think my opinion basically was this is that the beginning of the season. So we've got, we've, there was an unknown, I mean, with COVID. Unknown. Uh, are we going to camp? Not going to camp. How many weeks? Are we going to have an exhibition season? No exhibition season. So it kept changing um, day after day, week after week, you know, just uh, about time spent. So when you have this uncertainty, at least in the beginning, or time spent practicing, unlike years before, we, 
where you had, you know, two weeks before the first exhibition game, you had four, you know, four exhibition games. And so there was a methodology in how you put your pieces together to get that team together. And then, then the first part of the season, all of a sudden that's not the same. So in my perspective is that the Steelers have a veteran team at the beginning of the season. They have a defense that a year ago or over the last three years improved and they got the right players. And all of a sudden a year ago, they kind of melt together secondary in their secondary um, and in their linebacker court. So, so now coming into the season and my perspective is that, okay, they got a veteran team an experienced defense that's coming in. So whether they, they, they miss practice, they're not playing. They're, they've been there together for a period of time. So it's easier for them to gel in an uncertain time than it is for some teams that are um, uh, started off poorly, you know, lost games, uh, trying to find the right combination, um, get some new players coming in, some free agents coming in, some trades that have taken place. And, you know, and so you look at that um, uh, Eastern Division, uh, in the beginning, we talked about Philadelphia and the Giants and so on. I mean, they're losing, losing, losing. All of a sudden, we started to win. Now, in those first 11 games, and let's be honest, there were probably three, maybe four games that the Steelers should have lost. But through the grace yeah. of God or a play here or a mistake by the other opponents, they didn't. Now they have momentum, and for a fan base, all of a sudden, you know, we're starting to win. We're winning some more. So our expectations become uh, greater than maybe the reality of the team. So we get to, I always think that, that out of a 16-game season, it's like four quarters. You know, your first four games become very important. In a normal season, and I'm saying this, in a normal season, you get four exhibitions. Your key personnel really don't get a chance to play game-wise. You know, maybe that third game, you know, a bit little in the third game, and then maybe a half in the fourth game. So when you start the season, those first four games are almost like exhibitions trying to meld that team together in a game situation, which is different than practice, which is different than scrimmages. It's a game situation. So teams all of a sudden get caught in this transition. Well, if you can get out of that at 3-1 and one or 4-0, oh, you've you got a good basis and a good start. Then the next four games, okay, you're kind of, okay, what kind of team do we have? You're starting to melt. So if you go 500 there, you know, now you're at 6-2. and two. The next four games, you better start the second part of the season. That momentum, that growth, you know, becomes very important and where are you going to go? And then the last four games going into the, into the playoffs are when people say, hey, that team's finally come of age or that team has gelled or you got to look out for this team. It's really coming. So there's kind of that built belief. Just, I didn't think the Steelers ever got there. I think they were on, uh, they were, they were a stagnant straight line across uh, their capability. They never got that momentum or belief, and all of a sudden they hit uh, 
Washington, I mean, against Washington, Washington comes in and beats them. And so they play the Bills, I think, the next week and find the Bills. I'm, I'm going, I'm watching that. I'm watching the Bills of Washington, see what they did. And then all of a sudden, um, people started to key in on what the Steelers' offense was all about specifically. I, you know, they um, heard about, you guys were talking about the running game something that they did not establish at all. You know, oh, they don't have a running back. Oh, they don't have a big running back. Oh, they don't have this personnel. No, it doesn't start there. It starts in the offensive line. When you have a a, a passing offense, as, as the Steelers had, it seems to be uh, appropriate in today's game. But when 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 commentaries go, wow, we got to watch Ben, you know, he releases the ball in two seconds. He releases the ball in less than two seconds. You know, it's a quick release. So as an offensive line, you know, your blocking methodology changes. Now all you do is punch, drop back, punch, because the ball's gone. Unlike having to contain or, or maintain or sustain a constant block coming out in a running game. So I blame it on that mindset and the fundamentals of establishing a running game. Not that uh, Connors is not a bad runner. We had, you know, good people the, the year before that sustained the, 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 the team when Ben was out, um, and we established a, a, a run. But now all of a sudden it's changed, so Ben doesn't get hurt, um, and, you know, you become, in my opinion, stagnant and nothing takes place. So. That's the combination, and they just ran into uh, people who who pressed uh, when the Steelers dipped at the end of the season, and they find themselves on on the downside. So there, that's my analogy. (laughs) Thank you for that. Bob, question for Rock? It's always great to speak with you, Rock. I want to take you back to um, how you arrived at Notre Dame. Maybe talk to our listeners about were there other choices and how influential was Parsegian in uh, in putting you over the top there. Well, you know, it was kind of, it, for me. For me, it was kind of interesting because we're going back in time, and let's just say that we're going back in time <clears throat> into the '60s. So I'm coming out of high school, 1964. Um, Notre Dame was not a, a a powerhouse, you know, it had not been a powerhouse, you know, for the last 10 years. Um, um, and uh, so they were just kind of, you know, coming of, 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 of age. They So they, they weren't on the radar. I mean, there was Notre Dame, and I understood Notre Dame, not that we were big Notre Dame fans, um, you know, growing up. We weren't kind of big anybody fans. But coming out of the state of Wisconsin, so the University of Wisconsin was kind of, uh, you know, a prominent, uh, you know, football team at that time. In 62, they had just, I think it was 62, they had just gone to the Rose Bowl. Um, and uh, so they were, they were kind of, you know, big in our, in our lives at, at that time. Um, so, you know, when I had, uh, um, because of the success we had in high school, you know, you get recognized for being a part of that team and, you know, and then people become interested and scouts become interested. And so you got some 
um, some inquiries, and mostly about Big Ten schools. You know, you get a letter from Michigan or Michigan State, Minnesota, uh, Indiana, you know, with uh, possibilities of coming to their schools. Wasn't as big as it is today. Everybody knows who's coming out of high school and, and all the information that's available. That wasn't necessarily the case. Notre Dame was uh, was interested, at least from uh, the uh, assistant coach scout uh, that uh, had had that area, and uh, and so um, I talked to them, and they they would be willing, you know, to come and and, and take a visit at the school. Probably the best piece of advice I got was from uh, the assistant coach at Notre Dame who was recruiting there. Uh, and it, uh, and he said to me, he said, you know, you're going to get a lot of scholarships or offers to go to different schools, and they're going to invite you to come to the campus. And every time you come to a campus, they're going to roll out the red carpet naturally uh, and show you a good time. So by the time you go to four or five, six different schools, whatever it may be, and you have to then make a decision of where you're going to go, all of a sudden it kind of becomes all messed up in one who and what programs are the best or who do you like or so on. He said, you know, he said, my advice was choose three schools that you would like to graduate from. Not necessarily play football, but graduate from. He said, because you never know what's going to happen in this game, injury-wise and so on. And I thought that made eminent sense to me, only because I had no desire uh, to go to any other school um, outside, you know, I didn't care about Michigan or Minnesota. Wisconsin, I felt I had an obligation because uh, they were in touch with me. Notre Dame, obviously. And then uh, there was a family friend who'd gone to Boston College. And they said, well, Boston College would be interested in you. And I thought, oh, okay, fine. And I went out to Boston College first, and I loved it. Boston. Not necessarily Boston College. Boston, I love it mm-hmm. because here's this little route from the Midwest. All of a sudden, you're at Boston, and wow, that was great. And uh, then I went to uh, Notre Dame in Wisconsin last. And, you know, and Wisconsin was kind of too big for me. Whatever in my mind, it was just you know what I saw was just it was kind of large, and I didn't feel comfortable there. I went to Notre Dame, and obviously, you know, I felt comfortable there wasn't a big school. I mean, there was only 3,800 kids at the time um, that was at that school, but it had a great reputation of Notre Dame and what it was in the past and so on. But as I tell people, this becomes very important. Uh, As a good Catholic boy, I did what every good Catholic boy did, and that was go to church and get on your knees and pray for guidance and direction. And then, like every good Catholic boy, I did what my mother wanted, and that was go to Notre Dame, <laughs> and so I ended up at Notre Dame. <laughs> but Eric Parsegian had just come in, so Eric Parsegian was, was the brand-new coach, didn't know anything about him uh, at the time, except he came from Northwestern. That was it. Um, and uh, so, obviously, he made a big impact on that whole program um, and the, the years he was there the, in the in the. In the winning teams that he produced. In your rookie year in 68 with the Steelers, Rocky, uh, it was a team under Bill Austin, only won a couple games, but uh, I was just wondering, how did they treat 
rookies at that time? And was there any players on that team? I know those guys like Dick Hoke and Roy Jefferson on that team. Were there any guys that kind of took you under their wing and uh, helped you indoctrinate to the NFL? Well, I think uh, actually kind of, yes. Paul Martin. Remember Paul Martin? Paul Martin was a defensive, uh, Paul Martin was a defensive back. um, And um, uh, he was a number one pick out of the University of Pittsburgh uh, and, uh, and kind of captain of the team or captain of the team at at that time. And so, uh, and so Paul, Paul, along with Dick Hoke, and Dick was, of course, a senior running back um, uh, when I was there. Um, and, and, you know, and then so you make the team and uh, then you become part of the team. So there was always uh, and it was, you know, it was interesting. I, 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 I say this about about uh, Paul Martha is that one of the rituals uh, in training camp was that the first day of training camp with the veterans coming to camp, the rookies had been there for, you know, a week or so beforehand, and then all of a sudden all the veterans come in. That first day, they, uh, the veterans, take the uh, number one draft choice and introduce him to the rest of the veterans, so to speak. We go to a place called the 19th Hole, which was the drinking place for all the, the veterans. No rookie was allowed to go to the 19th Hole, except for this first uh, chance. And uh, so Mike Taylor, of the University of Southern California, was our number one pick. They asked him, hey, I want you to meet the rest of the veterans. We're going to the 19th Hole. Join us and, uh, uh, you know, and we'll have a couple beers. Mike declined. Oh, well, Paul Martha can't force him to go. So he goes to Ernie Ruppel, who's a second-round draft choice out of Arkansas. He says, uh, Ernie, why don't, you, come, why don't you join us? And Ernie goes, oh, the big old farm boys, and oh, I don't drink, you know, and so on. I, I, I really don't want to go. And he turns, and I'm the only guy that's standing there, and he goes, okay, Glyer, you're coming with us. So like a little lap dog, I go, oh, okay, fine. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me be a part of this team. <laughs> and so, so I go, I go to the 19th hole with them, and then I get a chance for my first time to meet all the veterans. Part of the indoctrination of that 19th hole was, you know, everybody would buy you a beer, and of course had to drink it, and um, and we had a a drinking contest. Well, I didn't know it was a drinking contest, but Bill Saul, who was our middle linebacker out of Butler, Pennsylvania, uh, was a big, rangy um, middle linebacker. And so he sat down across from me and he said, oh, you being a Notre Dame grad, I'm sure, you know, as a young fellow, you you know, you've had drinking games to, that you've been in. So we're going to have a little drinking contest right here. And I go, oh, oh, okay, fine. He said, yeah, so here, pour yourself a beer and I'll pour myself a beer and now, you know how it goes. I count to three. We pick it up. We'll chug it. And the first one puts his glass down, wins. And I go, oh, okay, fine. So he goes, all right, on three. One, two. Oh, he said, just a minute. Um, I'm not going to use any hands, okay? One, two, three. And he bends down, opens his mouth, picks up the whole glass in his mouth, and drains oh my. right down his 
stroke before I could even get it halfway spilled on my lap. And I thought, oh, <laughs> this is not going to be a fun evening. <laughs> so my indoctrination <laughs> into getting uh, being part of the, the veteran group. <laughs> Rock, you know, if you look back, um, the Steelers hired Chuck Noll as head coach 52 years ago yesterday. And wow. Yeah. And um, it seems to, I seem to recall a, a pretty uh, famous story about Chuck's sort of first practice and assessing the team and the talent level uh, that was right. there in 69. What do you remember about Chuck's first practice? <laughs> that story, that's right. So he comes in, we got the first practice, first meeting, actually. It was and the first meeting of the new coach. And uh, so we get up in front and he said, uh, he's a gentleman, he said, uh, over the last five months that I've been your new coach, I've watched every film of every practice, of every game that you partook in over the last three years. And I can tell you why you have been losing. You're just not any good. You have no discipline. You have no techniques. You have no basis. You're not big enough fast enough, and by the time this training camp is over with, most of you probably will not be here. Not that you're not good people, you're all good people. The problem is you've just not made a commitment to get any better. You've not made a commitment to raise the standards. You've not made a commitment to excellence. In some cases, some of you just might not have the talent to be able to perform on this level. And if you don't, then I'll have to find some people who will. That was his introductory remarks. <laughs> and it's, you know, and it, it came to be came to be true. Um, and so as he looked at, I can remember this story too, a little Andy Russell who played linebacker for us and uh, was captain of the team, was an all-pro linebacker, even though we had only won two games my rookie year. But Chuck comes in, so he invites Andy uh, to come and, and have a meeting. And so Andy tells the story that he was waiting for Chuck to say, hey, listen, our team's not very good. You know, you're the only star on this defense. You're an all-pro linebacker. He said, so, you know, I'm, I, you know, I, I want to congratulate you. That's what Andy did, but that's not Chuck's style. And so <laughs> he walks in, down. Chuck says, uh, you know, I don't like the way you play. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to change the way you play. Now, you might not be all-pro going to be a better linebacker and make this team a better team because what made you an all-pro linebacker is that you took chances you 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 try to guess try to cover for other people i can't allow that to happen you're going to play your position play it the way read your keys and don't worry about what else is taking place that's not your responsibility we'll be a better football team and you'll be a better football player uh given this so <laughs> Andy walked out what he thought was going to be a great pat on the back, like, holy crap. (laughs) I didn't get the recognition I thought I would. But that was Chuck, and Chuck was all about that, your responsibility, your responsibility within the team reading your keys and not worrying about what everybody else does. So if you just take care of what you need to take care of um, and read the right keys, um, then everybody will be. You know, everybody will be fine. Everybody will be on the same on the same page, and and uh, 
And so ultimately, that's what he built and ultimately got the personnel to be able to play that and, and play that way. Iraq, when I was looking back over the rosters and the coaches that were there in the 70s, you had, you know, defensive coordinators, you know, Bud Carson, George Perlis, those guys were defensive coordinators. I never saw anybody listed with the Steelers as an offensive coordinator until we get into the 80s. Was that was that Chuck and Terry? Were they was Chuck calling the plays until he trusted Terry to be able to call his own? Yeah, basically, I mean, basically Chuck's philosophy was that unlike today. So we say offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. I mean, there's a certain there's a certain responsibility that goes with that title. Do we did we have an offensive coordinator? Yeah. Did we have a defensive coordinator? Yeah, as you had made mention. Um, Bud Carson, you know, was that. But in Chuck's mind, it wasn't the the defensive coordinator wasn't was the only was the person that reported to Chuck. So when you put the the game plan together, it was defensively. So you got the secondary, you got the linebacker coach, you got the defensive line coach, um, and you met. Okay, and you guys put your defensive plan together. Offense um, is that uh, uh, we would put the you you would meet. And then report to me and, uh, and, 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 and tell me what the offensive game plan is. And Chuck would just meet with those guys. So, um, it wasn't, yeah, so it, it wasn't as if the, the power of the offense or defensive coordinator did not exist back then. And so Chuck basically, uh, the process was this, was that, okay, tell me your game plan. And he would sit and listen. And if he had a question, all he'd ask is why, why? If you could explain why you're doing this formation or this play or this approach, then you'd go, okay, fine. And then it, that would become part of, um, you know, part of the defense or the offense or for the team. Offensively, Chuck did call the play. Um, but we didn't have, I should say this. He called, he, Terry called the play, the quarterback called the plays. Chuck would run plays in now and then uh, with substitute players. Uh, he would call the first three plays of the game as we set up the game, and then it was up to the quarterback uh, to call the rest. There was no head, headphones. Uh, there was nothing written uh, 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 on your arm, you know, or something. Uh, it was how you best assess the situation at that time. Uh, and it was up to you uh, to, uh, uh, to to call the place and uh, or the options or whatever it was. So from a from a as we view it today, that offense or defensive coordinator who's calling plays offensively in the ears of the of the um, uh, quarterback um, and, and or defensive plays into the middle linebacker who was ever calling those plays that did not exist. Uh, you know, as back then, um, so it was pretty much up to uh, um, up to Terry to you know call the plays during the during the during the game. Rocky, we we all know about the great you know teams that won the four Super Bowls in the seventies, um, but I feel like nineteen seventy six was the one that got away. I mean, you and Franco rushed for over a thousand yards that season. Over the last nine games, the defense only allowed, over nine games, they allowed 22 points. They pitched five shutouts, and you and Franco get hurt against the Colts and the 
in the division round, and then the team goes on to lose to the Raiders and the and the AFC Championship. But if you guys don't get hurt, is that a fifth ring? Is that the one that got away? Well, I mean, that was you know as I think if, as people look back at, at that one specific season, um, and especially Steeler fans were so on, and as we're talking about the one that that you know that got away was the one that that overcame you know great obstacles. I think um, seventy six. I'm trying to think. Did we lose four of our first five games? Yeah, um, that's right. We, we started out one and four. First, yeah. But yeah, we were one and four out of out of those first five games. Not, I'm just going to put a little aside. Okay, uh, and that little aside is that uh, in game five, no, in game six, I think maybe game five it was. Um, we're playing the Cleveland Browns. Now everybody thinks that there's this great rivalry between the Steelers and the Browns, and this great hatred that takes place. Not so much in my Okay, I do, I do. I have a very warm spot in my heart for the Cleveland Browns. Why, you might ask? Well, because of the fact that in that game against Cleveland up in Cleveland Stadium in 1976, Joe Turkey Jones, their defensive, defensive end, uh, graciously sacked Bradshaw. And not only sacked him, then piled drove him into the turf and left him flapping like a fish out of water on top of that turf. Well, they carry him off on a stretcher. And in comes our backup quarterback. It was a rookie by the name of Mike Krushek out of Boston College. And he takes over. All of a sudden, we got to change the whole game plan. And we have to start running the ball. So we start running the ball offensively. And in and having the great defense, as you had made mention, and in those remaining nine games, we shut out five of those opponents, allowed, what, 23, 24 points scored, minus yards rushing. You know, it was like three and out. And, and the offense was just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And because of that, I gained a thousand yards rushing that season, along with Franco, to become the second set of running backs in the history of the NFL to gain a thousand yards rushing that year, which uh, then got us into the playoffs. And we went to the playoffs. We went to play Baltimore Colts in Baltimore, and in that game. Both Franco and I got hurt. I got what they call the turf toe, um, and um, Franco got his ribs banged up. Um, but we beat the Colts badly. I, it was like a 36-point spread, you know, and so on. Um, but the interesting thing about that game, just to put it in perspective, is that now we're down in the locker room after the game, see who we're going to play. Um, in the channel, what Oakland was going to do against the opponent, who were we going to play? And then all of a sudden, there was a cut-in on the television. Uh, and that cut-in was a Piper Cub playing. It's been, it's been stuck into the upper deck of the Baltimore field as it tried to touch, touch down on the field, and it couldn't pull itself out 
and crash into the end zone um, of, of, of the stadium. And all I could think of, and we rushed out and we see the plane sticking out there. And the only thing I could think about it, what happened if this was a close game or, or Baltimore was winning? None of those fans would have left, but they all left in the fourth quarter to get out of there. And um, and so that was the that was the excitement of that game or the tragedy of that game. But we, then we play uh, Oakland the following week, and I couldn't run, and Franco couldn't breathe, and so we were out of that uh, out of the game. And 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 Oakland had a great team. I mean, they they, they had a great team, and then beat us uh, uh, in that game out there. But it could have been um, because of the dynamics that we had because of um, the momentum that we had. And I think that we would have beaten uh, Oakland because part of it, part of it was not everybody was healthy, you know, so there wasn't any running game. We, we put in an offense that no one kind of believed in. I mean, we didn't have Bradshaw to make things happen. So um, I mean, we put a, it's a one back, two tight end offense. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're trying to run the ball as best and, uh, that you possibly could. And, and so it just didn't work, but it was a it was a great team that could have been uh, if everything was healthy. Bob, one more for Rock before we let him go. Uh, sure, Rock. I, I mean, you mentioned Franco Harris, and you play with many Hall of Famers, and he happens to be probably one of my favorite players ever. Um, and I think many people remember him obviously for the immaculate reception, but. Few, few. I guess you have to remember that this is a guy that's in the Hall of Fame and had multi, multi thousand year seasons. Uh, seemed to me he did it in a very quiet way, unassuming. Uh, is there anything else that maybe our listeners should know about him, Rock? No, I think. I mean, at that time, you know, coming in, he was a very. Uh, um, he, he was quiet. You know, he didn't say a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And I can remember when he first, I, you know, I mean, so part of it was part of it. I can remember his when he came in as a rookie, um, and so I was trying to make the team, you know, as well, and uh, hanging around in '72. And so he came in and came in late because they had the uh, college all-star game against the uh, defending champion, you know, NFL team. Uh, and so he was like two weeks coming in late, and um, and so, you know, and. And so I'm judging him by my own reaction, you know, and my own reaction was, you know, trying to prove, make sure you're, you know, you're doing what they ask you to do. If you're going to hit the two hole, you hit the two hole, you hit the four hole, you hit the four hole, you know, and then all of a sudden, but Franco's not that way. Franco's kind of a really laid back kind of guy and, you know, and he's a big guy. And and, and so he, he doesn't hit the two hole. He comes up and he looks at the two hole and well, he might take it off into the four hole, you know, um, and, or, in, in, and so I said, I took one one time. I said, Franco, Franco, you know, why don't you, you got to hit, you got to hit the hole. And he said, oh, not necessarily. He said, you don't know whether that hole's going to be there or not by the time you get into a game. So if it's not there, then you got to be able to pick where you're going to go. And that's the way he had played, you know, at uh, Penn State, but that was his mindset. And, but I'll tell you this, I mean, his work ethic was great. Every every play that he ran in practice, in practice, he would run 40 yards, 40 yards, 40 yards, 40 yards, come back, run 40 yards, 40 yards, 40 yards. That was just his mindset, um, which proved to be well when he played. I mean, he just never stopped. And, um, and, you know, and people say, well, he ran out of bounds all the time. He ran out of bounds. 
you know, and whether he ran out of bounds was, I think, the fact is that he might have only missed two games, four games at the most in his whole career because of injuries. You know, he just wasn't going to take that beating, and it wasn't necessary. So, uh, you know, he was a, a, a great player, a great asset, obviously, a great leader, um, and, uh, uh, and, and, and a great friend, um, uh, over all these years. Brock, before we let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, like the play, uh, and be able to follow you, whether it's, uh, online or it's over social media. Well, yes, online. You can go to, <laughs> thank you for the plug. You can go to rockyflyer.com. Which got all that stuff on on uh, on the on, um, on the play um, and and what is happening within my life and uh, social media. Um, you know, I should give you. I'm on Facebook um, and um, I'm on Twitter, um, so uh, you can uh, you can see me there and uh, it brings you up to date of what's what's taking place and so on. Now, Rock, we can't have you on and do a segment with you without giving a shout-out to our good friend Gretchen Beerenbaum, G-Money. She's, uh, she's there <laughs> helping right. as well, right? So, so that was my question. Now, Gretchen, for your listeners out there, Gretchen, Gretchen is a, a, a dear friend who happens to also do all my media. So when you ask me where you can find out about me, is that Gretchen is the one that places my Twitter accounts or my my Facebook <laughs> and, uh, uh, <laughs> and so on. It. So, uh you yeah, thank you for uh, for uh, for bringing her up, and so it's a shout out to Gretchen if you're listening. Thanks, girl. That's and right. We look smart. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> Rock. It's always a privilege for us to get to spend some time with you and have you as part of the show and have you as part of our guest Hall of Fame. You're a, you're a wonderful human <laughs> being. We can't thank you enough for all the great things that you've done for the show. Hey, thanks, Chris Bob. Uh, it's always a pleasure anytime. Give a call. We'll be here. We'll talk Thank again. Thank you, Rock. Take care. Stay safe. Right. All the Thank best you. to you and your family, guys. Rock. We'll yeah. take care of you as well. That's a great Rocky Blyer, Bob. And I, I tell you, you know, getting to spend time with Rocky is always a huge thrill for both of us. So, you know, I mean, I, I can't give him enough credit going all the way back. As you remember, Rocky was the second guest ever on this show. So for yeah. for someone like Rocky to to come on a show with uh, that he never heard of with two guys he never heard of uh, is part of the reason why he's in our Hall of Fame, not just you know for the fact that now he's been on the show eleven times. Like you said uh, earlier, one of the great storytellers ever, and the play again, BroadwayOnDemand.com. I can't recommend it highly enough. I've watched it a couple of times now. It's uh, it's great. And before I lose my train of thought, Bob. As Rocky talked about in that 1976 season when Bradshaw got hurt and Mike Kruzek and Mike, uh, I went to the University of Central Florida. Mike was actually our head coach for uh, the time that I was down there. But uh, he came in, in in that 76 season, Bob. And again, they go 6-0 and with Kruzek as, as the quarterback. Over those six games, he is 51 of 85 for 758 yards. Six games, 758 yards, zero touchdowns. And three interceptions, and they go six wow. and zero with their quarterback. <laughs> that tells you how much they changed the game plan to be a running uh, running attack. Unbelievable that they did That's that. Great. But he's uh, yeah, you know, so, Rocky is uh, he joined us on the TV side, Chris. And you know the amazing thing about him when you talk to him, first of all, for a half hour it seems like ten minutes, and and 
many of this, we, we talked to him so much, and very few of his stories are repeats. He's got so many, and he tells them in such different entertaining ways, but uh, we didn't even get to his off-the-field stuff. And again, every time we have him on the show, we can go a ton of different ways with him, and uh, obviously one of our favorite and most respected guests ever. Exactly right. All right, when Bob and I come back, uh, we'll be turning on our Thursday night tailgate spotlight on the positive. Here are two more great stories about guys out there making a positive impact on their community. We'll do that right on the other side of this real quick station break. Thursday night tailgate, where the spotlight is always on the positive. Tune in Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern time to hear your favorite NFL legends, players, and coaches sharing their stories. Now back to Chris and Bob. I wouldn't joke about anything else that happened to you tonight. All right, we are back here on Thursday night tailgate, and we've got our spotlight on the positive fired up. Bob, who are you putting your spotlight on this week? I'd like to recognize uh, Eric Armstead, Chris, the defensive lineman for the 49ers, um, who, of course, is their uh, nominee for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award this year. Uh, obviously, Armstead is a good player, Chris. This, uh, he just finished his sixth year uh, in the NFL. Uh, he had 10 sacks last year. This year, he was limited to four. Uh, obviously, there was double team in this guy. He's a very good player. And the team locked him up with a five-year extension last spring. So they know exactly what they have on the field. I don't know if anyone knew how good he was going to be off the field with his commitment to the community. And uh, his whole thing revolves, Chris, about education. Uh, you know, he was very concerned with literacy rates and, uh, you know, just kids not getting the things that they needed to succeed. You know, so when he first started, when he got there, I mean, this is a guy that threw a lot of his own money and he personally delivered 350 Chromebooks. Uh, and he paid for Internet service for certain kids uh, from multi-student families. Uh, this is in the Sacramento area. Uh, so, I mean, he's very, he, he gets it, Chris. He knows that everything kind of starts with education. And, uh, I mean, he's uh, now with the remote learning and everything, he is uh, known to um, go on a virtual classroom without any kind of notice. I mean, he's done at least 20 this past year, and, you know, it can be here in Sacramento, and he's actually done it overseas uh, just to make sure kids are getting um, and sustaining okay wherever they may be. Uh, so, I mean, he's been incredible about things like that. I mean, this year with COVID, I mean, he did a lot to support small businesses out in the San Francisco area. Um, and he's just done so much with, um, you know, I mean, he has a camp in the off season, Chris. I mean, obviously camps are different now than they were, but this is a guy that's run camps, um, every year. Uh, and he always, uh, makes it a point to, to speak with these kids at length when they attend his camps. And I mean, he's done so much, um, I mean, as far as giving back and trying to instill character in young kids, you know, he's really, uh, this is a guy that will just do a lot of just very simple wellness checks on people. Um, and he, he knows the importance of nutrition and things like this. And, and he's one of those guys every Tuesday, I think in the season, I mean, he'll visit pediatric patients. And uh, he's always spreading holiday cheer around the holidays. You always see him doing something 
uh, especially at UC Davis Hospital during the holidays, to, to make people and kids a little more happier. So, I mean, his entire biography, it goes on and on. Uh, so if you go to the NFL.com and click on the nominees, you'll see a lot more. It actually has a video of him talking about some of his uh, his uh, involvement in, in the community and certain things he's undertaking with his wife. So uh, it's a great story, Chris. So Eric Armstead of the 49ers, very deserving, Chris, uh, honoree tonight. Yeah, very much so. Uh, for a guy that's not been in the league all that long. So kudos to him for getting involved the way he has and, uh, and continuing to sustain it and, uh, certainly doing it with his wife. And, and, and I'm going to carry that on because as, as we've seen Bob several times, right? I mean, it's not just the players, the players, family, players, wives are, uh, are very heavily involved in the foundations and the charitable work that these guys do. And that's, that's the same here with my guy. And I'm putting the spotlight on now retired Steelers tight end Vance McDonald for the work he's doing with an organization called Convoy of Hope. And Vance has been working with them, you know, going all the way back to his days with the 49ers. And when he came to Pittsburgh, he connected the Steelers to that organization. Last month, they did their second annual huddle for the holidays and served a thousand families in the Pittsburgh area by providing resources, supplies, and things like groceries, winter clothes, water, masks, hand sanitizer, Chick-fil-A coupons, toys and books, things of that nature. And they teamed up over the summer to provide more than 250,000 pounds of food and supplies to those in need. Ben Roethlisberger has joined Vance McDonald and been a huge advocate for Conway, uh, Convoy for Hope, especially this year, you know, when the organization distributed more than 150 million meals in response to COVID-19. Because of all the work that Vance has done with them. He and this, he has been the Steelers nominee for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award for this year. Uh, and Vance says, you know, it's an honor to partner with Convoy for Hope. And he loves the humility that they bring to everything they do because every person that walks through their door, they refer to them as guests of honor. That's how they view them. And that's, you know, how they want to send them off, showing them how much those people mean to them and how much they matter in everyday life. Every person that they are serving, they want them to understand that they are prized, that they are special, not only to Vance, but also in the eyes of God. Convoy of Hope, uh, their vice president, Kirk Noonan, said that, you know, Vance's nature is to look out for people that are, you know, poor and suffering and want to help them, you know, do better, help them, you know, get the things that they need and want in life. He does whatever he can in his power to advocate for them to defend them, to provide for them. And he says, you know, that's just the guy that Vance is. So in addition to the recent holiday things, Bob, Vance and his wife, Kendi, they donated $30,000 out of their money, right, to help people that were impacted by Tropical Storm Imelda going back to September of 2019. And that's a storm that caused record flooding in Southeast Texas. So Vance and his wife have been doing great things now for the people in their communities for many years. So Truly, they care about those that are in need, and they're showing it not just in words, but in their actions. So a couple more very special people, Bob. It's just an amazing uh, story, Chris. And you get the feeling that, uh, you know, he's into his retirement, but he'll probably do a lot more off the field than he did on the field. And that's saying a lot because we know what he did on the field. But when you mention 150 million meals, I mean, 150 meals 
would be impressive uh, and have an impact. But when you do 150 million, that's uh, that's a, a universal type thing that you just can't put a number on something that big and, and what an impact that can have. So, my goodness, again, all of these guys are so deserving, and it's always can you top this every week? We get these guys that we just can't believe how much they're doing, and uh, it's guys that know they have fame, Chris, but they know they need to do something more and just talk about it. And these are the guys that we save for the end of the show every week, and it's so refreshing. Yes, it is. I agree with that, my friend. All right, Bob, it is time for us to put a bow on this edition of Thursday Night Tailgate. We want to send out our thanks again to Don Beebe, Tony Collins, and Rocky Blyer for joining us tonight. And, Bob, as always, it's a huge thrill to get to do this show with you every Thursday night. Same to you, Chris. That, uh, that two hours went by very quickly, and that's what good guests can do. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure we'll have a similar good time next week. Yeah, certainly looking forward to it. Scheduled to join us are Pro Football Hall of Fame board member James Allen, former Jets and Chiefs kicker and TNT guest Hall of Famer Nick Lowry will be, will be back with us, as will former Chargers, Vikings, and Giants defensive back Bensie Glenn. And then, of course, Tony Collins will be here. We'll, we'll actually do our Super Bowl pick then with Tony. So another fun night is on tap for you. We certainly hope all of you will come back and join. I want to remind you, how can you follow us online and on social media? Well, on Twitter and Instagram, you can find me at CT Mascaro. Bob is at Bob underscore Lazari. And the show is at TNT Podcast. Please visit us on Facebook. Both Bob and I have our own Facebook pages. Plus, we've got a page there for the show. Give us a like. That's very important to us. Check out our website, ThursdayNightTailgate.com, to see what our upcoming guest schedule looks like. Plus, we link back to our page over on Podbean, so you can stream or download any of our archive episodes. And you can download the, the Podbean app and take us with you anywhere you go on your mobile phone. Plus, you know we're, on, we're all over the net. We, you can find us also on Apple Podcasts. We're on Radio.com. We're on TuneIn. We're on Player.fm. If you've got a favorite podcasting site, we're probably on it. And folks, please do us a favor. Go online to podcastmagazine.com and vote for the show and their hot 50 list to get the show up the charts. We really appreciate your support. Uh, and you can vote for three podcasts on there to get into the hot 50 list. So we would certainly appreciate your consideration for our show on the golf side next on the tee. Plus, our good friend Gus Barat's got a great podcast. It's called Huddle Up with Gus. Our good friend Mitch Lawrence has a great golf podcast as well called Talking Golf Getaways. Jason Fearman and the guys over on Third and uh, Third and Three podcast, fantastic. And then Locked On Patriots for those Patriots fans out there, be sure to check out that show with Mike Diabetti. And then the guys over at Asylum Fantasy Sports, our good friends Flieger and Briggs. So lots of great podcasts out there. You can vote for three. We certainly appreciate your vote for any one of those. Bob, take us home, my friend. All right, Chris, we look forward to that next week. And uh, we want to thank our terrific announcer, Joe Lajanusa, for always doing a great job with our intro and ads. We want to thank Kyle Turley and the Kyle Turley Band for the upcoming outro music. And on behalf of myself and Chris, we want to thank everyone out there tonight for listening. We appreciate you the most. Until next week, good night, Kevin, good night, Terry, and good night, Rusty. We miss you guys.